Welcome to the 20 Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam, I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4? Well, as sometimes happens when you have a podcast that has a time limit on it, um, we sort of had to stop abruptly last time as we were finishing chapter 4, so we'll uh, pick up in verse 12. The writer here has been uh, calling people to obedience to the voice of God. That The, the premise of, of chapter 4's argument is speaking to religious people, people who believe in God. We're not talking about atheists or agnostics. We're speaking about people who believe in God, who believe that there is a creator, that there is a divine uh, ruler of the universe, somebody who is the maker of all things. And so the writer is saying to uh, people who grew up in the Jewish faith, do not neglect the voice of God, that even though we have the law and sacrifices and the temple and, and all of these things, he said, there were the people who entered, uh, who left Egypt with Moses and they got the law given to them. Moses came down to them with the tablets that had the Ten Commandments. They were there at Mount Sinai when the covenant was made. I will be your God. You will be my people. But they did not enter into the promised land because of their disobedience. God said, you cannot enter. And so they had to wait until that generation had died out and then their children and grandchildren entered. The writer is saying, don't disobey or resist the voice of God that is speaking to you. Consider Jesus. And in verse 12, the writer says, the word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the hearts. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What the writer to the Hebrews is suggesting here is this. The word of God is working in the lives of people. Now, what do we mean when we say the word of God? Most times when you hear evangelical Protestant Christians, that's us, by the way, talk about the word of God, they're meaning the Bible. And I do believe that the Bible is the written word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired people in different times and places to write what they received. God, the Holy Spirit, inspired scribes and historians to write the account of God's work among people. God the Holy Spirit inspired and and moved upon prophets to write their visions and oracles. God's Spirit moved upon the apostles to give us the gospels and the epistles. I believe that the Bible is the word of God in written form. I believe that it's authoritative for every believer, and it contains all that we need for salvation, all that we need to live a life in godliness. But the Word of God is not just the Bible. The Word of God is Jesus. The Gospel of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. 
Jesus is the very expression of the word of God. This gets talked about when somebody studies John's writing, the Apostle John, that he used what we translate as word, the logos. This idea, not just of the written word, but this, this Greek concept of the force of creation. The same force of creation that inspires a poet to write, that inspires a sculptor to sculpt, that inspired the divine creator to make the seas and the mountains, the days and the nights. This logos, this word of creation. The word of God is alive and active. I believe that God is speaking and working in the lives of people, and he does so through the Holy Spirit of God working, through the Bible revealing God's truth to us. There are many ways that this happens. People can speak the word of God to other people. Art can convey the word of God through song, film, poem, stage. It can move and it can pierce. Sharper than any other than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even dividing the soul and the spirit. Soul and spirit is a mysterious or nebulous concept. What's the soul? What's the spirit? People uh, go back and forth about this. And some people say that human beings have a body and we have a soul, that we're Dual creatures, we're body and soul or body and spirit. Others believe that human beings are just a body. Uh, most atheists, by the way, would believe this, that human beings are just a physical body that is made up of chemicals and, and electric synapses. And when we feel pain, it's because our nervous system is designed to. When we feel sad, it's a lack of dopamine. When we feel elated, it's endorphins that are rushing from one part of our body to another. That's people who believe that humans have a, a single nature. We're just body. Many believe that humans have a dual nature, body and soul or body and spirit. As I understand the Bible, it teaches that human beings are triune. It is part, I believe, of what it means to be created in the image of God that's talked about in the book of Genesis. The human beings are triune creatures. We have a body, we have a soul, we have a spirit. When the Bible says, and Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now that's four things, but they're, they're connected. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. You know, heart is effort, emotions. Mind is, uh, you know, your will, your conscious will. And the strength is the implementation of the two your soul or your spirit. I, I believe this. Human beings have a body. And we can choose to honor God or dishonor God, honor ourselves or dishonor ourselves, honor others or dishonor our, others with our bodies. I believe that human beings have a spirit, that we are spiritual beings. We are eternal beings. That when a person dies, their spirit lives on. I believe that. I also believe that we have a soul. Now, if somebody disagrees with me and says it's body and soul and, and something else, like, I'm not going to fight with somebody on this. This is just my best understanding. The soul, I believe, is, is all of our emotions, um, 
you know, that kind of like who we are. You know, I don't believe that my fingers make me who I am or that my toes or the color of my hair, you know, there's this whole thing about, you know, redheads, you know, and, and now because I'm older, my hair is darkened uh, and it's, it's weird. My hair got darker before it turned gray. Um, but I had bright red hair. You can look back at old pictures and I had very copper, bright copper red hair. And you'd hear that, oh, you fiery redheads. The color of my hair has nothing to do with my personality. Although sometimes you get so tired of hearing it that you get a little feisty and fiery and maybe that's where it comes from. But my body doesn't make up who I am. Doesn't, doesn't change that. I, I believe our soul and our spirit are two different, they're linked, but two different things. That my soul is that emotional component um, and the spirit is that, e that eternal consciousness. If somebody has a different opinion, that's fine. I think it's far from something to argue about. To me, what's clear is this, that the word of God, whether it's through the work of the Holy Spirit, whether it's through the ministry of people speaking prophetically into my life, whether it's through the written word of God, that the word of God divides these mysterious things, penetrates, is the problem in my soul, now, from my understanding of soul, that would indicate, you know, am I having uh, issues with my mental health or, or my, my own understanding of things? Maybe it's not a mental health issue. Maybe it's a, um, just a misunderstanding issue. And because I have a misunderstanding, then it, it affects my thinking, then affects everything I do in terms of how I act and how I behave and all that. Or is it a spiritual issue? You know, am I, am I, am I down because I'm under spiritual attack or am I down because I need to go for a walk or I need to eat some more vegetables or whatever? You see what I'm saying? The word of God penetrates through these things, divides through these mysterious things, things that are beyond our understanding and does the work that God wants to do that we are unable to do. The word of God penetrates. It lays bare. Is is my anger and my rage justified or is it selfish? Is my rejoicing and my joy justified or is it delusional? I believe that God will speak to us and in us and reveal things if we surrender to him. Now that might sound mystical to you, but in my own experience, it's very practical. There are times where I have opened the Bible and I have had to come face to face with myself and where I've been wrong or when I've been in error or whether I've been unbalanced. And God has spoken to me. There are times where God has spoken to me through his spirit. I've been praying. I've been worshiping in song. I've just been sitting there and the spirit of God speaks. He might speak to you differently than he speaks to me, but he speaks. There are times where God has spoken through people prophetically into my life. Dividing the mysterious things. And this goes back to the big idea that the writer has been getting at in chapter 4. However, wherever, whenever God is speaking to us, it's up to us to respond. God has the ability to get through the junk. You ever had a situation where somebody's making a big deal about something and then you find out it has nothing to do with that thing. They're really mad about some other thing that's totally unrelated and this is just the unhealthy way that they're expressing it. God knows and God gets through. And that is the, the warning earlier in the, in the chapter, in verse 7, where the, the writer quotes 
uh, from Psalms and says, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. As God is speaking, as he is cutting through all of the stuff that we put around, the baggage and the, the junk, the, the, the defenses that we put up, and he moves and speaks, don't harden our hearts. And because, verse 14, therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we, possess, we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize in our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What the writer is saying there is that Jesus understands everything that you and I are going through. Have you ever had somebody say, oh, I get what you're going through, and they're like, there's no way that you get that. There's no way that you understand it. And sometimes they don't. You know, I've been around long enough. I think I've told this story before you know, in a prayer meeting, and somebody shares, uh, hey, you know, uh, my, you know my, my aunt or my grandfather or somebody really close to me died. You know, one of my best friend for the last 20 years, you know, died tragically this week. Can we pray? And somebody says, oh, I understand my, my, my cat died last week. Now, Fluffy might have been a fantastic cat. It's not the same thing. And even if it was the same to that person, it's super insensitive to, to bring it up in that setting, right? Jesus, when he says, I understand, he means it. And there's a lot of implications to that. It's one of the reasons why I didn't want to get into it when we had like 30 seconds left on the last episode. What does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus can empathize with us in our weaknesses, verse 15, because he has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In a minute, I'm going to start unpacking some implications of that. And it makes people uncomfortable. It makes people uncomfortable. I remember and I was a few years younger. I think that probably had something to do with it. And I was speaking to a brother who I respect immensely, but who is considerably older than me. This conversation did not go well, but we were talking about something along these lines, and I, I made some suggestions about what it might mean, and they were horrified that I would even suggest some of the things I'm about to say. And I think part of that is that we have, there, there's nothing new under the sun. The scripture tells us that. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says there is over and over again, there is nothing new under the sun. The mistaken ideas that have tempted Christians in times past are always there to tempt us again. So we have these ideas that Jesus, even though he's fully human, somehow didn't experience the same things that we do. That Jesus wasn't exhausted from work one day or exhausted from travel and just wanting to lose it. I remember um, coming back from what was a particularly exhausting trip. We had gone down uh, our previous church. We had gone down to Mexico, but um, usually we go down to like, you know, uh, Rosarito or Tijuana. But we went to um, way, way, way down in the Baja Peninsula. 
day, day of hard, hard driving after a trip, you know, week and a half that was just a real intense trip, physically and emotionally tolling. And by the time we got back uh, 13 hours of hard driving to get back up to Rosarito to stay the night before heading back up to, to the, the church in the Bay Area, I was just at my end, you know, I, I was so annoyed at everyone. It's just reality. You're tired. You've been with these people for a week and a half. You're, you're just drained. There's a lot going on. And I just remember like, I, I kind of had to like walk away for a little bit uh, because I just knew that I was going to snap at somebody. I was really, really, really on the edge there. I guarantee Jesus went through that. I guarantee Jesus knew what it was. Name a thing. Did Jesus lose someone? Yes. I mean, we know from the Gospels that he wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Joseph is nowhere to be found by the time Jesus starts his adult ministry, and it, it, it's very reasonable to assume, giving uh, actuarial tables of ancient, <laughs> ancient times, that his father Joseph is dead. We aren't told, but, you know, given mortality rates, had Jesus lost a younger sibling in childhood? Uh, my, my grandma... Uh, lives in Pennsylvania, and she was telling us once about uh, a, uh, an aunt who had, you know, she, she wasn't alive then, but it was one of her mother's siblings, who died by rolling into the fire, because it was an old Pennsylvania farmhouse, and it had an open hearth fire, and the, and the little child rolled into the fire and died. And I looked this up, and apparently this was a very common way for children to go. Do you think that Jesus hadn't lost somebody, that he hadn't had tragedy? I believe the scripture is true. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are. Do you think Jesus wasn't tempted sexually? Do you think Jesus wasn't tempted in some way towards greed? Do you think that Jesus wasn't tempted some way towards bitterness, vengefulness, bigotry? Am I saying that Jesus was a bigot or that Jesus was... No, because it clearly says, and yet he did not sin. But if you're thinking that, if you're thinking that Jesus never, never experienced the temptations and the trials and the troubles that we do, you're incorrect. So when we, we read that the word of God is active and it's dividing into the, the hidden things and it's laying bare before the eyes of him who must give account, we say, oh my goodness, who can stand? Jesus, our high priest, he has experienced all the same temptation that we have. Now, has he sinned? No, he hasn't given in like we do. But he has grace for us. And in verse 16, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That the blessings of God, the mercy of God, which is not getting what we do deserve, and the grace of God, which is getting the things that we don't deserve, are there for us when we need those things. The power of God to overcome sin is there for us. I do not believe that we are cursed or destined to always be a sinner. I do not believe that we are cursed or destined. We're always going to just struggle and struggle and struggle. Now, we may choose to never get ourselves into a place of health. That's possible, by the way. I know people who it's like they know that, that what's going on in their life is like this cycle of pain and hurt, and then they just absolutely re refuse to do the things that would get them healthy. You know, that, that for the, 
what do you need to do to quit? Well, you know, what do you need to do to, to break that bondage? What do you need to do to get your place, physical body, in a, in a place of health or your mental health in a place of health? And we understand that physically or mentally, but what about spiritually? What are we doing to get ourselves into a place of spiritual health? The mercy of God is there as he gives us the Holy Spirit to give us power to overcome sin and to live in victory. The grace of God is there for when we do fall short. Oh, maybe you... you you gave in to bitterness. Maybe you gave in to greed. Maybe your heart was given over to lust and you've relapsed and you're feeling shame. But understand that the grace and the mercy of God are there and that Jesus, who knows the temptations that we experience, embraces us and says, let me heal you. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. You can subscribe by searching Faith on Hill on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. You can find video versions also on our Facebook page. We gather together on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Small groups meeting throughout the week. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. 